Thanks for tuning in to the Survival to Thrival podcast, based on the book series with the same name. I'm Helen Croydon, and I'm the interviewer of the biggest stars of the show, the two co-authors, Tehi Norm and Bob Tinker. Tehi and Bob are a duo of investor and entrepreneur. They have a long history of working together and have written two books together, aimed at founders and entrepreneurs striving to build enterprise startups. This podcast is based on the themes, advice and real world stories from their book series, Survival to Thrival. If you enjoyed this, please like it, subscribe or share it with your network. So this episode, Tehi and Bob are back to share more of their wisdom from the Survival to Thrival book series. We're focusing on a part of the latest installment, Unlock, on how to get your first customers. This is obviously the springboard for any startup, but how do you convince them to be a paying first customer? Tehi, over to you first. Where do you even look for your first customers? Well, getting these first customers are obviously very hard, you know, and where I see companies uh, get their first customers many times is uh, uh, these are the people that gave them the founding idea. So the fact they're the way they develop the founding idea and the first customers are sort of aligned in that manner, or they get them through friends, uh, referrals, or many times, you know, if uh, the founder is a thought leader in that space, then they also get them through followers and social media. Yeah, the way we found our early customers at Mobile Iron was he was one of the co-founders and he spent six months talking to customers before he wrote a line of code or raised a dollar venture capital. And, you know, I think I asked him, like, how did he do it? And the first thing is he used his network. The second thing were um, he would ask the people that were willing to talk to him who else he should talk to. So he sort of networked within his network. Um, And the third thing he did, which I thought was really sort of stealthy and interesting, was he paid a lot of attention to what people were saying online. And were there any customers that were quoted on topics that made them potentially interested in what we were up to. And he would just cold call them and say, hey, I'm working on a startup. Would you be willing to talk to me and give me some advice? The thing that he used, which I think is very effective for any founder out there, is start by asking for advice to win those first five customers because you're just working on your initial idea. So potential customers love to give advice they hate to be sold to initially. So start by asking for advice. I think there's an old adage, ask for advice and you'll make money, ask for money and you'll get advice. Brilliant. So can you tell us what is so special about winning and satisfying those first customers? Oh man, uh, your first several customers that you win have a huge influence on your company. Um, First of all, no company can succeed without having their first customer. They have a huge influence on your company's first product. And then in terms of making them successful, how do you then work with customers and make those customers successful? And you'll ask a lot of these early customers because they become your reference base. They become the customers that your later prospects ask, hey, should I buy this? And you know, being able to win them and make them a satisfied paying customer um, is a big deal, but uh, it's all part of the journey. And what I found uh, uh, is is that uh, many times your first customers 
are as passionate about the mission and the company as the founders themselves. And that they really take ownership of the journey, the idea, and the success. Um, and so when we celebrate as a company, whether it's like the IPO or M&A event, uh, you know, we many times would invite the first customers there as well. Yeah, our first customers at Mobile Iron was uh, Windsor Foods. If you go to Costco and you uh, buy a burrito, frozen burrito, and you flip it over, it's made by Windsor Foods. And Stefan at Windsor Foods, like, put it in perspective. Like, he had to go to his boss and say, I'm going to go buy a product from this company called Mobile Iron. His boss probably said, all right, who's Mobile Iron? Who are their other customers? And he had to say, oh, we're their first one. <laughs> right. So your first customers have to really believe in what you're doing. And they also have to have enough pain that they're willing to take a little bit of a risk on. So how do you um, how do you convince them then to take that risk? I think Tay said this before. It's sort of illogical for any customer to be your first one, right? What is it, Tay, the analogy you use? Like, you know, no no patient wants to be their surgeon's first, <laughs> first operation. Um, you know, it's similar for customers. It's kind of illogical for them to be your first customer. But if they have a high degree of pain around the problem you're solving and they see you as an opportunity to solve it, that's the biggest way to get them over the line. Um, you know, there's a real risk asymmetry here between, you know, why would an executive at a company be willing to buy from a startup that, you know, what's the benefit to them and what's the risk to them? And the trick is sort of finding those customers that have the right combination of risk and benefit. If the only thing that's going to happen is if it doesn't work, they're going to get fired. They're never going to be your first customer. If they have a chance to be like, hey, we can become a hero by solving this problem, they have a good chance to become your first customer. Following up on what Bob said, you know, there's absolutely some customers that want to be a first customer because they see the strategic opportunity and want to be the hero. So they, they capitalize on the vision and they're, they're going for the, the big prize. Absolutely. And, and so the way they look at it is uh, very much like the founder of the company in, in terms of what Bob was referring to the, the risk asymmetry as well, too. Uh, see another set of first customers that aren't really focused as much on the strategic side. And instead, what it is, is that they just have this urgent pain. They have a pain that they got to just solve right now. They look around, they can't find anything. And so they reluctantly go and are doing this. And what's important is to combine the urgent pain with something which is easy for them to do. So if it's an urgent pain and they have an easy solution, it's like, let's just give it a go. You know, and easy, maybe the payment mechanism or the, the economics or something is like, you know, let's just try it. And if it works, it's great. If it doesn't, you know, I just wasted some time and then we can move on here. So, you know, it, it really comes down to, I think, what's important here as a founder and getting your first customers is to really understand as uh, it's just illogical for any customer to really be your first customer. So just start with that assumption and then ask what causes them to do some unnatural act. And that will be, as I said, this, there, you have this really compelling, urgent pain or this sort of huge strategic upside. Obviously, if you can do both, you accelerate much faster. And then 
uh, one thing that's also important for these uh, first customers, especially the more senior ones, is sort of seeing a great deal of founder commitment, because especially if if it's a major requires a major commitment on their side. Yeah. I mean, presumably your first customers will give you a lot of feedback on the product, as you touched on before, Bob. So how much actually is the product shaped by the first customer? Well, it's actually, a, that's a great question, Helen, because um, one of the mistakes that you can fall into as a founder trying to win your first customers is you want to win any customer. And the trick is you want to make sure you're winning the right customer because the customers that you win in the early days have a big influence on the development of your product and just how you make them successful. So did you win customers that are looking to solve the right use case for you? Or were they doing something a little bit different? It's a hard thing for a founder to have a customer that may be willing to give you some money, but it's for a problem that's not quite what you think the core of your business is. It's really hard to say no to that because if you say yes to that, you know, you then have to make them successful and it'll influence your product, influence your company. So I think that's a topic that doesn't really get covered is not every first potential customer is the right first customer for you. Because they may be uh, not reflective of the wider market. They may want you to make changes to the product, but the wider market doesn't necessarily want you to. Usually the trick there is that there's often a couple use cases that a startup is wrestling with to see which one's sort of the one with the biggest urgent pain and the biggest opportunity. And you'll win a couple of customers in one use case and there'll be another customer that wants another use case. And adding use cases in the early days of a company is tricky. Yeah, I mean, first customers, Helen, play a huge role in the beginning of the company. And it's not like they buy the product and they're happy with the product. As they're using the product, they start coming up with a, a, a lot of demands that they want this, they want this report, they want this feature, they want more scale, they want. And, and so in order to keep that those customers happy, it really drives uh, the product team, uh, uh, support and others. And so it can become a black hole that's sort of sucking the direction of the company. And so if it's going in the right direction, which uh, many other customers want, then it's great. If it's driving in a direction which is sort of custom to that particular customer and only that customer, then you'll have a very happy first customer, but you're not going to get a thousand more of those customers. Got it. So in your online resource unlock when you're talking about getting your first customer you talk about breaking risk asymmetry as a key dynamic what do you mean by that well you know as we talked about that's sort of illogical for a customer to decide to be an early customer to start up unless they've got an urgent pain so they've just the trade-off between success and failure is different for every customer and you know, I'll give you an example. Like one of our later stage customers was uh, Morgan Stanley. And that was a huge win for us. And we had to make them successful. There was no chance to have them fail. So there's no way Morgan Stanley ever would have been an early stage customer of Mobile Iron. Like no way. The risk asymmetry was just too great. But now let's talk about Ashwin Bilal at uh, KLA Tencorp. They're sort of a mid-sized company. They had a huge pain. They just bought like a couple thousand iPads and they're trying to distribute them to their employees and they had no way to do it. 
So they had a huge pain, no solution. And so if Ashwin solved this, he would be a hero. So, and he had a track record of finding early stage companies like Mobile Iron, like FireEye and becoming an early customer. And it's kind of his thing. And he would look at that as an opportunity to innovate, make the business better. And, you know, he eventually became CIO as a result. So there's this, you have to sort of look at the customer and ask to what Tay brought up earlier, like what's motivating and really be honest with yourself as a founder about what you think is motivating that potential customer and be honest with yourself about, you know, do they have a, do they have the right risk asymmetry versus risk symmetry for them to mm -hmm. become an early customer? And after signing up your first customers, how do you then work with them? Uh, boy, they become, they become kind of your pride and joy. And also uh, they can be really frustrating sometimes. You're a harsh critic. They become yeah, harsh critic. Be yeah, harsh critic. And they can take you in directions that may not be the right direction for the company. So there's, you know, there is a real relationship that gets built with your early stage customers because you had to make, you know, a founder level commitment to them to make them successful in order for them to bet on you. And that's personal for both you and the customer. So, you know, you have to make sure you're making them successful, delivering real value. Um, they give you tons of feedback. Usually it's great. And they become a teaching customer of yours that they help influence the product. They help influence the company. They help be a reference to other customers. And, you know, one of the mistakes we made in the early days of mobile iron is I think we were so focused on the win that it took us a little while to focus on how do we then make them successful to keep them. And I think that's less of a problem now because I think most SaaS recurring businesses, people sort of get that, you know, the customer relationship moves beyond the win and you actually have to make them successful to renew. But I think, you know, that recurring relationship that gets built is a really powerful one. And, you know, I still talk to our first customers at Mobileye. I still talk to Ashwin. I still talk to Stefan. And it's, um, they become special people, not only in your company's life, but in your personal life. The way I see it, Helen, is that these uh, first cu paying customers are going to be the pioneers in understanding the company's entire customer journey from, you know, just signing them up with uh, or making them aware to all the way to making them into a hero. And so as a result, they're going to serve as a template for all future customers. And so just understanding it and nailing it is going to be very important. And then the whole go-to-market motion will be built on top of this uh, customer journey. Would you say there's an argument for in the early days of the business before you fully know what the product is going to be, before you've nailed the exact urgent pain, that you should cast your net wide and accept all sorts of customers? Because in a way, they're going to help you define what the product is going to be. Or should you try and be a bit selective, even from the very start? You know, it's hard to build product, Helen, for like 10 different use cases on day zero. However, it's uh, relatively easy to talk to all these potential first customers about these different use cases and maybe even sketch things out before figuring out which couple, let's say, you want to actually build the product for. Yeah, we call those teaching customers. And the path we took is that, you know, we did exactly what Tate just said, is we talked to a lot of customers. And I think that's, 
sometimes a stage that other founders skip or don't spend enough time in is if you build this cabal of teaching customers, which are willing to give you advice and giving you feedback, and you, to your point, Helen, cast a slightly wider net, so you have different types of customers with different use cases in there, you can learn a ton from them and then sort of zero in on where do you actually think the business opportunity is and which one of these do you want to try and win. You know, interestingly, some of your early teaching customers may never actually buy your product because the direction you decided to take it as the best way to take it may not have been that interesting to them. And that's totally okay. Like you don't have to meet the needs of all customers, but having this base of teaching customers that you then winnow down to your first paying customers is a uh, recipe that worked really well for us. Yeah. Got to be an urgent pain that causes these early customers to buy. And ideally, you want to be able to provide a capability, a report, or solve a problem that your early customer gets noticed for, that they get recognition for it. Uh, they become a hero inside their organization for having solved this. And in many ways, it you build not just a long-term relationship, but you really affect people's careers when you help make them a hero. Marketo did a great job of that. We did a good job of that in the early days of Mobile Iron. And I think, you know, as a startup, you're so focused on sort of winning the deal that thinking about how do you make your customer hero naturally forces sort of longer term thinking, uh, comes up with really interesting product ideas, uh, and it really cements a real long term relationship. And, you know, I, I look back and there's a lot of IT executives that got promoted on the backs of being the ones that helped make mobile work inside their company. And uh, I'm proud of that. So in short, you need to convince those early customers who logically have no reason to buy from you that your product is going to make them successful personally. And what you're saying is when they do convert, be prepared both for being frustrated by them, but also for building up a real lasting relationship. Bob Tinker and Tehi Norm, as always, thanks so much for your wisdom. Thanks for listening to the Survival to Thrival podcast with me, Helen Croydon, and co-authors Tehi Nam and Bob Tinker. This podcast is aimed at enterprise startup leaders. If there's someone you know who would find this podcast useful, please share it with them, subscribe, or leave a review. That's how others find us. Oh,